Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. I want to speak to you uh, for a few moments this morning on a topic that has come up recently, and in a certain sense, uh, I'm, I'm laughing a bit because it's a kind of topic that you feel is so obvious. It's one of these things that you're like, well, I, I didn't even realize that this was up for discussion. Like, I didn't realize that we needed to have a conversation about this. Um, and yet, based on the kinds of engagements I've been getting into lately, it does appear that a conversation about this is needed. And I do tried to title the episode pretty simply so that you could get the gist on that and you'd be able to um, see what we need to talk about here. But the bottom line is that I want you to read the text for yourself. I want you to read the text. Of course, I'm referring to the text of the Bible by itself. Um, however, you know, this general principle does kind of apply to other things as well, to other kind of texts that you might read as well. And the entire premise kind of underlying this whole thing is that tertiary uh, kind of information, that is secondary information, is not sufficient um, to to provide the kind of uh, satisfaction that we need or the kind of confidence that we need to have in a text if we're going to claim that it is true. Ultimately, one needs to reason uh, it, w- within the text and be persuaded by the text itself rather than just the opinion of people, uh, of other people, uh, even scholarly people, although there, there may certainly be uh, more weight given to a scholarly, uh, excuse me, a scholarly opinion on something that certainly raises the probability of its being a, um, a correct interpretation, but there are competing scholars. And so, you know, you kind of get into this whole thing of um, subjectivity among scholars as well. And so it's helpful to have scholars to point you in some different directions to point out things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And this is why it's important to read people from a variety of perspectives, by the way, uh, and not just those who share your own. Because when other people point out their perspectives, you can at least now be privy to them and see if they make more sense. Um, When we get to that point, we have to try to overcome confirmation bias. That is, we need to make sure we're not so attached to the way we we believe already that we're not willing to fairly consider new information that we receive from people that we might disagree with. So we need to take that into account as well. But just because some scholar says something, or just because some person says something, uh, that is not in itself to be taken as what the text says authoritatively. And there are a couple different ways in which this manifests itself. Certainly the way that I 
have mentioned here is a big one, right? I mean, people take scholarly opinion and take it as fact to the neglect of other uh, scholarly opinion that might disagree. And when people start picking and choosing scholars based on arbitrary criteria, well, then we get into into further problems and logical fallacies and things of that nature. So we certainly don't want to do that. Another thing that, and I, I think probably my primary motivation when I first wrote down that I wanted to, to broach this topic, is you'll find in conversations with folks that they take advantage of the situation when they have information that they think you don't have. And what's worse is if you buy into this, uh, if you buy into thinking that because they have asserted something, because they have said that a text makes a certain claim, by having not checked it out yourself, you can't be sure that that's actually what the text says. And I can't help but think that this is just one of the contributing factors to why so many Old Testament uh, promises and the words of some prophets and things of that nature get misconstrued to have promises that have direct application to Christians today. Probably the most famous one or one of the most famous ones is Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is the verse that says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Well, what happens is people hear a pastor or hear some influential teacher quote that verse in a completely foreign context. Almost never are they actually reading that verse when they're teaching through Jeremiah, and it's a good thing, I guess, be, to, the, to the point of the particular teacher, because they would have to deal with a couple verses down about how uh, they were going to be in captivity. Okay, so understand uh, that a verse or a um, passage of scripture or whatever, as far as understanding what that means, you've got to read the text for yourself and dive into it a little deeper. Now, it, 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 if some things are obvious, okay? When you're reading the Bible, some things are obvious, but not all things are that obvious. And in fact, I would say that many things, if you read the scripture verse in complete and total isolation, this is why Greg Kokel says, never read a Bible verse. This is one of his famous lines. Never read a Bible verse. Of course, it's meant to incite curiosity, but the reason behind it is he's saying what you need to do is consider more Bible verses. Consider uh, the other texts that surround it in order to get the context. And that's what needs to happen is you can't take a verse in isolation because in most cases, a verse taken in isolation can very, very easily have a prima facie kind of meaning that is not the actual intended meaning of the text. And unless you read the text for yourself then you are, um, you could fall prey 
right to the teaching, the incorrect teaching that is being taught. And we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful stewards of the Word of God. And being a faithful steward involves understanding for ourselves what the text means. So I want to give you a kind of aphoristic principle that we're going to work through just briefly here to figure out uh, how we can do this or why we should do this. And then we're going to go make it a bit shorter episode this week. So I'll be right back with that after this short break. One of the ways you can contribute to the work we do here at Steve Schramm Ministries is to consider gifting us a monetary donation towards our annual ministry fund. You know, it does cost money and time and resources in order to be able to create high quality materials like our weekly podcast, the articles that we put out from time to time, and the videos that we create often and put on our Facebook and on our YouTube channel. Would you consider prayerfully becoming a partner with us in ministry? If so, just go to steveschramm.com slash give. That's steveschramm.com slash give. There you will see some different options on how you can partner with us and what benefits there are to you. And we certainly appreciate in advance any time that you would take to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with us either in financial donation or simply in the donation of your prayers for our ministry. So head to steveschramm.com slash give and find out how you can help today. All right, well, thank you for sticking around. Let's go ahead and dive right into this principle that I'd like to share with you today, and hopefully this will make what we're teaching even easier to remember. Uh, I thought about just making read the text for yourself. Uh, the aphorism, it's close enough, uh, and it's so simple. It's, um, you know, it's almost a no-brainer, but it does provoke some thinking. Uh, but I'm going to give you one that is maybe a little bit uh, a little bit more balanced, a little bit more easy to, to remember, and will allow me to teach you uh, a little better as well to walk you through this. So here's what I want you to, to really take away from today's podcast. The text is where the truth is found. The text is where the truth is found. Now let's break down that statement. First of all, the text. What text am I talking about? Okay, well, I'm talking about the Bible. Now, of course, like I said, any text that is asserting truth claims this is a principle that's going to apply. You cannot have an accurate understanding of what an author meant to convey in his text outside of reading that text in its historical setting, in its appropriate context, and according to the style of writing that it is. And we can achieve this simply by using a historical grammatical hermeneutic, an interpretation of scripture that is faithful to the historical context, the grammar of the text, and takes all the appropriate figures of speech, etc., that can be used into consideration. So we have to go back to the text and interpret according to this way in order to understand the authorial intent. That's kind of a buzzword for you, authorial intent. So we look to the text. That's what it is. It's it's the text. It's not an interpretation 
of the text. Now, you can argue that the earlier, and maybe even the earliest, known interpretations of a text by other people will help us to shed light on what the most accurate understanding of a text is. And the reason for this is because they are closer to the historical context that the person was in, but yet they are the original, when I say the person, I mean, of course, the original author, um, but they are also closer to us, and it's a bit easier for us to understand what they are saying as well. So you kind of see how that works. It's almost like a sliding scale of history, right? You've got people who are closer to the events and therefore closer to the context of the events uh, could potentially, depending on certain factors, have more insight into the text that we could have today. Now, there are things that because of the way things get lost over time and the ways that we develop new methods of discovery, that we actually can have better insight into some things today than even some ancients could. Um, that's a bit more muddier of a discussion, a longer discussion to have, certainly, than we're going to have today. Um, but just know that that is also possible, especially when you get into archaeology and things like that. It is possible that we can make discoveries today that help us to understand ancient things better than even some people who would be closer to the events than Selves. But still, in terms of how to understand a given text, a lot of times, by looking to people who were closer to the original context, it will help us get that. But again, again, the whole point I'm making is that it cannot, in principle even, it cannot tell us exactly what it was meant to convey. The text, using tools and clues from the context and via interpretation of the larger and wider context around it and the larger and wider context of scripture, etc., is where we get our information from. We have to have reasons to believe the text is saying what it says and reasons to reject things that we don't think the text is saying. And in any given case that you're going to argue uh, for your understanding or you're going to assert your understanding of a text, unless you're willing to qualify that with, uh, I don't really know what this says here or what to make of this, then you better be very modest in your uh, uh, claims um, because, or, or very confident in your claims. If you're confident in your claims, then you need to have reasons. If you're not confident in your claims, then you need to be very modest about that and very open in sharing that you're open to different views on this. You don't know exactly which one to take yet. Hey, uh, you know, let me hear yours. You know, if you're talking to somebody, let me know what you think about it. Okay, so the text. So the text is where the truth, what do I mean by the truth? Um, the text is where the truth is found. The text is where the truth is found that is the text is the is the locus it is the location of the truth it is the vehicle where the truth is brought and delivered to the reader okay now what is the truth well of course the truth i'm referring to here is the truth that god intends to teach via the text the truth that god intends to teach via the text. Now, this is an extremely, extremely important principle to nail for many reasons. Um, what I'm not saying here, now this, this statement as a whole is very exclusivist, but it's, it's not talking about necessary truths, okay? When we say the text is where the truth is found, by definition, 
we are excluding that the text, we're excluding the notion, listen carefully, that the text, the truth that God intends to teach, we are saying that that truth is not found anywhere else. The, 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 the truth that God intends to teach via the text is found only in the text. Can we learn things from natural theology, general revelation, etc.? Of course we can. There are logical truths that we can come to know. There are things that we can come to know without knowing them via biblical Revelation. I'm not saying that we can't learn other things. I'm saying that any truth that God intends to teach via the text is going to be found in the text. That is where it is. It's not going to be found in a private interpretation of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be found in modern science. It's not going to be uh, found in philosophy. If there's truth that God intends to teach in the text, then the text is where the truth is found. Does that make sense to everybody? Hopefully everybody is tracking with me on that. So I'm talking about the truth that God intends to teach. Another very important reason for understanding that it's the truth that God intends to teach is that the Bible is a book that deals in stories. Now, I prefer almost to use the word accounts, but nevertheless, they are biblical stories that are useful for our learning. They may be true stories, some of the stories are not true. They are parables. But they are, in a very real sense, accounts, in many cases, of things that actually happened. And what is recorded is not, uh, by necessity, something that the Bible affirms. So if somebody in the uh, story being conveyed in the Bible tells a lie or does something that is promiscuous or whatever, it does not mean that the Bible endorses that. For example, there were so many godly people in the Old Testament, we find, who were um, polygamists. I mean, they had, you know, King Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I mean, come on. Is that saying that the Bible endorses this? Of course not. Of course not. We get our teaching, our direct teaching on God's way for the home from other portions of Scripture. It's just recording simply what happened. Another way of understanding this is that, uh, and this has ties into what we were talking about earlier with taking texts um, out of their context and ripping them apart, but not all things are prescriptive. Some things are merely descriptive of events and things that happened in the past. So the text is where the truth is found. It's exclusivist in that the uh, Bible is saying that if, if anything that God intends to teach via the text is going to be found somewhere, it's going to be found in the text itself. And I know how simple that seems, but you would be surprised how many people just take somebody's word for it or will hold to a view strongly and dogmatically without ever having actually studied it. And when presented with an alternative view of the text, they just spout out their understanding of it without having ever actually read the text for themselves, actually done the hermeneutical work of understanding the text in context. So that's the thing. It's exclusivist in that sense, but then it is also very important 
to understand what we mean when we say the truth that God intends to teach. What we're saying here is that God's word does not by necessity endorse many of the things that are found within it. It is just simply doing its best. The authors are doing their best to accurately record history and God is superintending over that process, which we call the inspiration and the preservation of scripture. So that's what's going on there, my friends. That is what I wanted to bring to you today. And uh, why don't we close out with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and want to say thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for allowing us to understand these wonderful and helpful and Uh, seemingly simple, but so very important truths about your word. Father, we're grateful for your um, love for us. We're grateful for your having sent your son to die, God, in our place, to take our sin and our shame and to bear the weight, Lord, of our iniquity, that we may become righteous in your sight, Lord, that we may become the sons of God. We appreciate you, Father, and God, help us to give you the praise and glory of which you are worthy this week in everything that we do and in every circumstance that we face. Amen. All right, guys, thank you again for joining me this week. If you're interested in helping support the ministry, as we mentioned a bit earlier, you can go over there to steveschram.com slash give. I'd love to see you over there and uh, and provide some of the uh, needs for the ministry. We do produce some uh, paid content that you can buy, some courses. I've got an audio course and a video course out there now. If if you would like to see some direct, uh, 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 a direct product for your purchase, then certainly that is one way you could do it. You could go there and, uh, and check that out. Uh, if you'd like to support us uh, without any uh, particular product that you receive, then you could go to steveschram.com slash give. That helps us to put out this free content on a weekly basis and our quarterly uh, in-depth articles and then the videos that we produce from time the time as well your support is helpful your continued listenership is appreciated and we certainly uh, love bringing you this resource every week and it's it's not work it doesn't feel like work at least not at this point in my life it's a, it's a joy and an honor but it does take time and uh, it does take resources to keep up so we love you thank you so very much for uh, for joining us and we'll see you next week thanks Bye-bye.